episode 319 of the win six podcast i'm your host adam mcgee and joining me as always it's my good friend jordan tresky jordan hello hello how are you doing good i'm very good how about yourself i'm doing good jordan have you acclimated settled into the off season the off season vibes yet uh yes i think the the hiatus helped <laughs> that in that regard. It helped in that regard. Yeah, just to kind of get, you know, used to the lay of the land again. You know what I mean? Kind of, but I'd feel I feel the opposite cuz the uh, like the hiatus was basically an off season in terms of how long it went on for and then here we are again. So it's a weird it feels quite strange, and yet the season is still going on, and it feels like, I don't know, a couple of months since the books last played at this point. But that's the rub of it, right? That's how, that's how 2020 is. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, let's run through a few different things. We have a good amount of mailbag questions that will kind of consist of the main, the back half of this episode. Before that, though, let's catch up on the events of the last couple of weeks or so since we last recorded. And they almost all center around Giannis. In the time since we last recorded, Giannis, uh, not just Giannis, actually, Giannis and Tanasis, <laughs> not to be overlooked, <laughs> held a meeting with uh, Mark Lazary in Giannis' home. So we'll talk a little bit about the meeting. Giannis then went on to win a second consecutive MVP and become the third player in NBA history to be an MVP and a defensive player of the year for the same season. There was no real surprise there, and still there seemed to be a couple of days of LeBron whinging about you know how people voted one way or another. Maybe we'll talk some about that. I know that's your kind of thing, Jordan. Oh yeah, more than a vote. And... On top of that, Giannis also made the time 100, which is kind of the the sort of thing I wasn't expecting, but again, I guess just points to just how pervasive he is as a figure in the wider sporting consciousness, but also the the wider public consciousness, too. He's obviously a name that's grown more familiar. Oh, yeah, Giannis' rookie trading card also set the record for a, a basketball trading card sale, which was also surprising, but I guess this is what happens when you're not even 26 and you've just won the last two MVPs and a defensive player of the year. 
people start to really, really pay attention. Yes, that, that much is true. <laughs> All right, well, let's start with the meeting, Jordan. Well, I'm trying to think, was this the week after? I can't, I can't, I can't remember what day it was that the books actually lost their, their final game is the Heat. It was roughly about a week after, anyway, everyone back home in Milwaukee. And Mark Lasry went to visit Giannis. As it's been reported, this is something that essentially happens every year. If Giannis is around, he'll go and catch up with him. More generally, he will obviously go and have a meeting with the head coach, with the general manager. And Giannis kind of fell in the run of that. So Mark Lasry took a visit out to Giannis' home. Um, sat down with him and Tanasis, you know, the two most important pieces. Yes. And <laughs> they went and kind of just, I guess, spitballed some ideas, um, took a, a feeling of the temperature in the room, you know, without being able to actually talk about anything, which is kind of absurd. But even though the books are on his current team, they can't discuss a supermax and kind of suss out whether he would be able to at least they can't officially discuss it whether they have uh, they have got their way around that that remains to be seen but this was something that was very much kind of a non-story from the moment it happened but it was exactly the sort of thing that the fans of 29 other NBA teams wanted to hear um, without any of the reported details backing up the kind of direction that the vulture circling over Milwaukee wanted it to go. It seems a lot of people ran with that. What was your reaction at the time to the meeting and now a little bit kind of detached from it, a little bit further away from it? Um, how, how have things changed for you? I I don't think they've changed really. Um, I saw some, I think at the time I saw something like, because obviously there wasn't kind of this, there was, it, it kind of was like piecemeal. It's like, oh, the, he's meeting with ownership. And then everybody was like, well, what, it, what are they talking about? Because it's coming after his comments of, I'm not going to get traded. That's not something I would do. And then you get like that little tidbit. And then it was like a couple days past. I think it was Woj had something about like the luxury tax and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking now, I, if my memory serves me correctly, we actually did talk about this on our last episode. But the Woj report didn't arrive until later that day. So No, I think it was it, a couple days, because I think it was it was like a it was like a Saturday. No, I don't think so, because my only my only reason that I have memory to put this in context is that the last time we had an episode, I recorded Locked On Books with Kane Pippen. Oh, the that's right. Day, and we, we talked about the meeting and Kane had missed the Woj reporting while he was sleeping. So that's that's the only reason I have the detail of that in my mind so we definitely talked about i think shams was the night before that yeah and he had he was the first to report kind of a meeting had taken place but then it was over the course of the next 24 36 hours that uh details started to trickle out yeah um and like you said i think the fact that this meetings like this have occurred in the past it's only news because you know kids are in the future around Giannis. i mean that's there, there was nothing, probably anything different said in that meeting than there was last year. You know what I mean? Like, the only difference is, like, oh, we have to keep everything together. And now who, there's this 
you know, the quote, let's get creative when it comes to uh, uh, building a roster. I, I would say the meeting, to be fair, I would say the meeting was different two years ago. Because last year, we do know it was very much, okay, let's keep everyone together. But they did take a step back this year. True, and yeah. I would say that there was a, like, what has been reported is a sense of, you know, ideas of what they can do to improve. That wasn't really where they were at a year ago. It was about, let's bring everyone back and we'll improve internally as much as anything else. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Um, but yeah, I think, how many weeks, two weeks since maybe this has happened or even... Yeah, just maybe? just under or around that anyway. I think it's, I think everybody's feelings on her kind of just, everything's on pause. Yeah, I mean, there's the offseason. We don't even know when free agency will be held. It could be a little bit longer after the draft. But those like words said in that meeting, it's not going to be put into action for still a couple of weeks. And obviously, since, you know, whenever Giannis returns from his vacation, I'm sure there's probably going to be more details <laughs> that come between other meetings or whatever uh, happens. But yeah, I think it's just kind of like, okay, this kind of have to be on the same page with how everybody approaches this and it seems like that for now yeah and i mean look in the aftermath of uh, the bucks conference semifinals loss and even it kind of in the days around that Giannis himself put out tweets where you know where he thanked the fans in milwaukee and just generally seemed to double down his commitment to the franchise and everything he had been saying in interviews um, he again used the phrase, which I think is a bold choice for him to kind of try and coin as a personal phrase that he wants associated with him, of you know going through the wall. Considering, considering how the books have been beaten the last two years, I don't yes. know if he if he fully it's thought a, that one true. It's a double. It has double <laughs> meaning. The double meaning would be fine if yeah, it's it's maybe just a bit too literal and a bit too on the nose and just reminding everyone all too often of exactly what the problem is but all the same Giannis has doubled down he's made it clear that you know that's that's how he plans on going about this is he's just gonna keep going through that wall to which yeah we'll we'll see how that goes but I mean adding to this so kind of just following up on that we have as I mentioned at the top it's not that it's unexpected but we just kind of have this confirmation and this coronation of sorts of Giannis as the MVP again so now two time MVP back to back MVP defensive player of the year to go with it he's now made all NBA teams four years running he's all NBA first team the past two years there's there's part of this and I don't know, I guess it just gets glossed over a lot of the time in the just the day-to-day, what fans will talk about with it, and even what people like you and I might write or talk about on podcasts when it comes to it. But honestly, one of the things that struck me with that, um, and then again, when the, the trading card news comes out, and when the the Time 100 news comes out, am I alone in kind of finding this incredibly surreal like it's it's more than proven just how good he is at this point but i have to say there was a run of a week or so where i just kind of i don't know i felt it maybe maybe part of this is on me too because obviously i'm finishing up writing soon and maybe that's fresher in my mind the idea of kind of 
uh, where the books were and where Yanis was when I started doing this and you joined me shortly after that. But I have found something about this kind of just, it's just kind of like a jolt where for all of the stuff that we get bogged down in, I think there is an element of forgetting like what this journey has been, just how far he has come, just how far the books have come over the course of his career, because it, it really, it's incredible. It is incredible. I'm not saying anything new to say it's incredible, but I think that's kind of the point. I, I don't know, is there an element of his story that is now taken for granted from books fans? Maybe in part because we were so tired of hearing (laughs) about it when everyone else came to the party late on. Do you know what I mean? No, I I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, he's the third. He was the, what was he? I'm losing track of stats and like which Which stat are you looking for? I might be able to help. He's the third youngest back-to-back MVP, I think. It's Kareem was the youngest. LeBron was. It's like a difference. Yeah, that would, of, that would seem right. Yeah, it's like a difference of like twenty something days or something like that. But yeah, you're twenty five years old. You you've won two straight MVPs. Something only like you know fifteen players have done before. Um, all this stuff and everybody. How we talked about Giannis not that long ago. I mean, it, it's. Basketball moves in different ways. <laughs> it, time moves fast, but like he's this is he just wrapped up his seventh year, and everybody was kind of talking about like, well, in year four you you'll you'll see some payoff. <laughs> it's a it's gonna be a long road ahead, and it's like no, this road has actually kind of been pretty quick. <laughs> it has, but it also it wasn't like there the fact that like he's now a back to back MVP and a defensive player of the year. And you can cast your mind back to his rookie season, his second season, even his third season, and see where he was at then. Like, sure, you could see the improvement coming, but he wasn't, like, I, it just doesn't happen like this. It's not even his story and where he came from and, you know, all of the other elements attached to it that have been mythologized and get discussed so often in just kind of, again, almost like a, a cursory way where it's, Anyone who has heard about it zones out because they're like, yeah, we know, we all get it at this point. But aside from that, to see someone come into the NBA generally have two or three years where, like, they're just figuring it out, like, they're not good. You, you couldn't say, like, objectively in terms of a wider sense of, you know, top players in the league. Giannis was not close to that until maybe his fourth season where you really started to see, okay, this is a leveling up. I mean, glimpses back end of his third season. Yeah. But to then be at this point, and this, the period of time where that particular leap has come from, is incredible, because when you talk about other players who've gone on to be two-time MVPs, they may not all have been like LeBron James or Kareem or Michael Jordan to come into the NBA where they hit the ground running like that, but they were still working off a considerably higher base than Giannis was. Yeah, that's very, that's very true. Um, like yeah. a, a good, a, a good example of that, because it is someone who took major strides and his entire reputation was transformed as his career went on is Steph Curry. Yet Steph Curry averaged like 18 points per game as a rookie, you know? So there's, there's just such a, a large like gap. even Dirk. I know when he his career wrapped up, there was kind of like 
from where he started and how he was, you know, the homesick element of it coming in like a lockout year and how poor, like how much he struggled, but he still averaged like his second year was not, it was very good. 17 and a half points, 6.5 rebounds in the second year. While yeah. Shooting third like year, he averaged 20 over 20 a game, almost double, double. Mm-hmm. Like there, that, that leap is kind of what associated with, you know, being most improved or that kind of people expect something like that. People don't expect, I mean, literally Giannis's career tra- trajectory where he's, I think, improved every upon his raw like counting stats every year, um, while playing less minutes too. Um, <laughs> like that's that that is pretty remarkable in itself, and just shows you how. That has got to run out, right? That has got to run out next year. I've I've been saying for multiple years that's going to stop, and like it, it's because he. Okay, he had a dip in... I think his assists have gone up and down a couple of years, so it's not linear, but he has improved points and rebounds per game every single year, which, as you know, has come with his minutes going down. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> that is not sustainable, and surely that's going to stop for you, too. Yeah, it should, but... <laughs> Who knows? I kind of tied to that. So, he's won back-to-back MVP. Is this it for him in that kind of, in the MVP context for for a while? We've seen just how much narrative has become the discussion. I think it is a testament to just how phenomenal his play was this year that he won it again. Because we've seen the voter fatigue kick in and like just something you did in your MVP season, following it up with the same thing has generally not been enough to to get you the award. Even if you are kind of quite clearly the best player in the league are right there in that discussion. And with that now, I'm starting to just wonder because they're unlike if the if the system was different and the way historically this award has been handed out was different, like there'd be no reason why Yas couldn't just win like five of these in a row. <laughs> but that's not how it works. So no. is it is it even possible Considering right now the biggest knocks against him are going to be postseason knocks. So they're not factored into that award. But that is going to hurt his case for MVP next year, regardless of what he does in the regular season. Is there a case that, like, for Yanis to win an MVP again, it's not going to happen until after he kind of has a breakthrough in the postseason? And then maybe the following year... If he if he's great again, people will kind of get over that, and the narrative is a little bit fresher. Or does it take, for example, him just going to a completely different level, where all of a sudden he's a like a highly efficient three point shooter? His jump shot just out of nowhere comes along. Like, is that what we're talking about for Giannis to win another MVP now? I don't know. I mean, the fact that his postseason struggles are going to be used against him from here on out. I'm not. I'm not saying in a. I'm not saying that's going to be a discussion point as much as... No, I think it is. It, Honestly. For, for MVP voting, though. Oh, I, I think it, I like, think it, it will be. relevant in that context. I, I just think it is going to subconsciously be in the back of people's minds. Yeah. But then that's what's weird. Like, So say, like, let's compare it to LeBron, because that's kind of, I, I guess, the most recent example. Is that, like, you know, he went to in Cleveland. He goes to Miami. 
they basically just have like his first year there as great as he was and Derrick Rose ended up winning MVP. It was basically, I'm not saying Derrick Rose wasn't deserving, but it was certainly some of that, the external factors played into that vote shaking out the way it did. You know what I mean? Sure. And there was kind of, I don't want to say resentment, but just everybody, well, the, it was so fresh positive, in people's minds. The positive narrative momentum was with Rose because of that Bulls team and how they were on the rise. Yeah. And yeah, then there was, I think resentment is fair um, towards LeBron and where he was and how that had come about. He still won MVP the year later. And it wasn't like he, I think we, how we kind of view those. But did he win the year later because they didn't win the championship? Well, that, that's what, that was my point. Did, or, did that take away the resentment is, is the question really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so he like, oh, you have your humble pie and you yeah, still came so, up. So but now it was we still can like, consider you again as a basketball player in spite of the fact you play on this team. Yeah, like that's what's weird about this. That like, So if you hold his postseason struggles against him, which I mean, to be fair, they're, they're not <laughs> postseason record of the last two years is not particularly great um but like you almost have to have like the validation for him to win a title and then say if he never reaches you know this standard of what he averaged this year ever again in a regular season like you know what i mean like it just it's this weird backward logic that i just don't really that i think will actually be played into effect because i think people when it happens the first time, you're like, okay, there's, you know, factors in, that played into the Bucks collapse against the Raptors. But they look at the Bucks as, or Giannis and all these other narratives, uh, to say a word that is just overused at this point, um, that is going to play into a factor and in how people kind of just view his game until he eventually gets over that hump. Because he is going to. I think that's that much is clear. But I don't know. It's just so strange. I mean, the, here I looked up the voting for 2010-11. Derrick Rose got 113 first place votes. This they must have changed voting. Yeah, their numbers of votes. Yeah. Yeah, and LeBron got four. <laughs> and it's not like it, LeBron had averaged 26, seven, and seven. Yeah, you know I mean, like. There was other things that certainly played into that factor. And it's just kind of, again, this is all kind of, you know, the benefit of hindsight and Derek Rose's career was certainly, uh, you know, never the same, not long after that year, but it's just, I think this constant kind of, I don't know what to call it. Just kind of referendum on MVP voting. I mean, we saw it a couple years ago with Russell Westbrook. I mean, he that comes with his... Yeah, but the bigger thing almost with that, and I'm not arguing, I don't really think he was deserving either year. Uh, but the, the thing with Westbrook is why he won when he did, then why he didn't win the next year if he was deserving to win the first year. And the the, the flip side of that is the, the person who uh, became his teammate was his teammate before that, but the, the reverse case could be made, which is why Harden didn't win when Westbrook won his first when Harden was probably the deserving, and then Harden wins the next year. I mean, it's it's very hard to work out, but I, uh, the thing with the the reaction to Giannis winning again, it's it's just really stupid. It's really really brainless that there is this conversation of like, 
oh, well, you know, the problem is that this is a regular season award. This is not a new thing. Uh, it's always been Yeah, there. this whole... Why, why is it a problem? It's like... This, the... we, we, we build up the regular season and postseason to be different in every way. And the Bucks right now are very much the living, breeding, walking proof of that. Yes. So the problem is that there isn't a playoff MVP, but then there is a finals MVP. And that is kind of, you know, if you get to the finals, okay, you've got your chance for that. But there is, like, there is already a differentiation there. And it makes sense. It's there for good reason. Like, this happens if you have a playoffs in your sports. This is what you've got to do. The regular season, particularly the NBA, where you play 82 games, like, that that does matter. So I, I don't get the way people are all of a sudden quite uh, quite notable kind of NBA personalities are trying to make this a conversation where it's like, no, there's nothing weird about this. This has always been how it is. Like, if you want another award, sure. But... LeBron James was not the regular season MVP this year. He may he may win a championship, but be the finals MVP. And if that's the case, like he should get over the fact that he didn't win regular season MVP in a year where he didn't deserve it. But it it was very very strange. And even like LeBron's own comments about it, where there were some elements in there which okay, that's that's a good point in your talking sense. It's like why are you doing that? Like, really, do you think, I mean, this is what happens if you surround yourself with people who tell you you're always the greatest, I guess. But this was not a case of, you know, this was not a close thing. The voting showed that this was not it a was, close it thing. It was not even, Harder had more first place votes last year. And that's yeah. because he almost averaged. Well, that, was a, that was a closer MVP race. Yeah, but it was still pretty much Giannis Blumen. I know, I know. But if you were to ask me, like, who had more of a case? Yeah. I, I think Giannis was deserving both years, but if you're saying who had more of a case to have had the the one that Giannis won, I would have said it was Harden last year, not LeBron this year. Yeah, that's not taking away from LeBron having a great season, but like that's just how it is. I mean, the part of the reason why I bring this up is because we talk about obviously all of the records that Giannis is breaking and the company he's joining. I mean, there's only been three players in NBA history who've won three MVPs in a row. They're Larry Bird, Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell. Like, all signs of point to that Giannis will be, again, just the kind of player he was this year when the regular season rolls around. Whether that's enough, whether people can just overlook that, I don't know. The thing with Giannis compared to a Westbrook or a Harden or even LeBron James at this age is, like, if he plays at a level where he's also the defensive player of the year, maybe he's just impossible not to give it to because you can't, you can't just say, like, oh, well, he's not trying on that end or he's he's kind of dialing it in in this regard. He doesn't do that. Now, whether that ultimately proves to be to his detriment, whether that plays a factor in the fact that, you know, he ends up playing pretty modest minute totals and he looks gassed at points in that in postseasons, I don't know. But the reality is, I don't know. If Giannis does what he does, I think he's a harder case than most to pick a hole in because you can't just his weaknesses aren't things you can hold against him in terms of an mvp case because if you say oh well he needs to be a better jump shooter like in terms of the mvp conversation if he's right there at the forefront of that without being a better jump shooter that's actually you know a, 
a positive for his case. That's working in his favor. Look what he's able to do in spite of that. So it's it's hard to make a case against him compared to what happens with, say, Harden or what happens with, say, LeBron when LeBron has kind of, oh, he's been... What year was it when he went to Miami for a week? <laughs> like at Christmas time. Remember that? He just basically went on vacation to Miami. Oh, that was like his first year. Like stuff like that, which just doesn't help because it's like, it's a very glaring and obvious, okay, here's something we can use against that person. Um, But I'm, I'm interested. I won't say I'm looking forward to the point where MVP conversations are happening next year, but if Giannis can put together another season, like he has in the last two, I am curious to see if he can come out with three in a row or what way that plays out. I, and I mean, think... on top of that, sorry, just before you come back in, like, if he gets the three MVPs, the players who've won three or more, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Moses Malone, LeBron, Wilt, Michael Jordan, Bill Russell, Kareem, that's it. That's the list. Yeah. I think, I mean, the, I don't know. There's just something... NBA discourse is largely exhausting. Online <laughs> discourse, and that's that's the problem here. Is it's that's where this kind yeah, of conversation happens with the M- with the NBA. It's just an extension of everything else. Yeah, um, but I just think the, the same mistakes that or what people view mistakes as like voting Giannis back to back MVP or whatever it is, they're just gonna be made again. I mean, you could say that like. Is this going to happen with Luca when he wins MVP? Whenever that is, like, yeah, you know I mean, like, he was a deserving MVP candidate this year, but like, until he proves it, quote unquote, this is it's going to be like it just history repeats itself in these same exact ways. Just re, yo, know, it's player X. It's you know what I mean, it does it. It could be LeBron. It could be Giannis. It could be Russell Westbrook, James Harden, whatever it is. Like, oh yeah, the possibility is absolutely there for whether it's next year or the year after, for Luca to win it and Giannis to then be in the LeBron spot where people... Or Harden, and then it, it, and then it becomes... A, it, it, like, metastasizes in a way. I don't think I even said that word correctly, but... <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that, like how Rockets fans... I mean, James Harden has finished... He's been a runner-up for the last five years, or some kind of runner-up. Not, you know, first runner-up or anything like that, but, like... The fact that he's been in top five for the last five MVP races is pretty remarkable. Um, but like the fact that every slight against him in the MVP race or whatever it is, it's, you know, it just like sets up this whole thing of like, just this, I don't know. It, again, like you said, online discourse just about anything is pretty terrible, but it like it, when it becomes, when it comes to awards voting and just, the stuff that I've seen that's like, we need an MVP award and we also need the best player award. It's like, what What the hell does that mean? You're voting out yeah, of season. That, that's, it's, that's, yeah, that is, that is we, an give out, we give out all that, rookie second teams. I think we have enough, like, award, yeah, well, that, that is, the <laughs> MVP, and that is something that I found from, like, when I first came to the NBA. It is, like, this is, this is the term used in American sports and it has like inbuilt inbuilt ambiguities because it's most valuable player. So immediately that allows you to say, well, what defines value? What does value mean here? Where what does value in a team sport when it has to be parsed down to an individual? 
Well, in most other sports, it doesn't mean you don't end up having some of the same arguments, but you'll have a player of the season award, which I think is a lot simpler because it then just becomes to, okay, let's look at how all these people performed this season and let's decide which one is the best. In theory, doesn't always play out that way, but in theory. So, like, MVP is, by the literal definition, you know, it's kind of troublesome. It's hard to pin down. Yeah. Before the kind of the current wave. Yeah, before the current wave of arguments that come up year after year came about, it used to be like, well, what is it? Are we voting for best player or is it who provides the most value to their team? That was long the thing. We seem to have moved past that. But yeah, certainly having a best player award and a most valuable player would just be nonsense because... If you're the best player, that usually means you're going to the finals and winning a title. You know what I mean? Yeah, but see, that is, you're now, you're now speaking to, to you're now speaking to yeah. what is the problem that people have, but that is not what it is. I think what it should be looked at, because again, it is a regular season award and nothing can be won in terms of team trophies. You can't win a championship at that point. It's okay. The season finishes a prerequisite for MVP has to be, do you look like you're one of the leading contenders? You know, yeah. what happens next is irrelevant at that point, because that's not what the board is voted for on. It's, did you have an outstanding season? Do you look like the kind of player who's good enough that your team could win it all? Like, that is a prerequisite for me. And that's the kind of thing where, like, Westbrook's got pretty dicey, and there was a lot of conversation about, you know, how how good does your team have to be to get in the mix? Really, what that's about is, you know, is this player so valuable that having them puts you in the title conversation automatically? Mm-hmm. It's, I didn't mean to, for us to get this far into the MVP rabbit hole because at the end of the day, they're individual awards and what do they mean? But I think in, in Yana's case, they're interesting to talk about and just the last couple of weeks are interesting to talk about in framing like just where he's come from and also what's next, you know, what he can end up doing, what his ultimate legacy will be as a player because he's in position like to get to completely uh, unprecedented territory. I mean... Four off tying Kareem at this point in his career, it's completely possible. He could he could go and end up with five more before his career is done. And that is what makes it interesting. And in spite of all the other stuff we talk about all the time and the kind of things we're going to get into now, I do also think just that kind of note of it is worth mentioning every now and then to realize that here we are on a Milwaukee Books podcast talking about a player who has been with the team and kind of developed and become this caliber of player during that time. And yeah, he's still in a position where he could end up being one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player to ever play the game. Yeah, And that's it. That's in spite of the unconventional journey that he had to the league in the first place. Like it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. We move into the mailbag. Let's do it. Okay. The first question, when I find it here, comes from a Cowboy Space. I've heard all the big names. Who are some fringe guys that could be options to fill out the roster? Or is it just hope Dante DiVincenzo gets better? Um, We have a few questions that, not necessarily along these lines, but I think they're going to come back to 
a similar kind of central issue and something that we may end up getting a little bit repetitive in our answer. And I think the big thing for me approaching this book's off season and the more we do dig in and think about it and write about it, talk about it is I think it's so much more out of the book's control than they might like to think. And they are relying on another team wanting to part with someone <laughs> for me. Yes. I think that that's, that's a big part of this. Like if they are to hit the home run and find someone really good in a deal that makes it work, I think it's just going to be circumstances have to break right for them, which is entirely possible. It's the kind of thing that happens all the time that just timing works out where, you know, something can work for both parties. But I do think that is a factor here. So, I mean, for all of the big names, and you're going to be better placed maybe to even talk about this because you wrote about some point guards and um, was that this week? I think Philip was started this week, who could be, you know, targets for the books. You excluded Chris Paul from that kind of having already acknowledged. Sure, they might. Well, like that, him. that they, kind of maybe they won't, but that's that's difficult. Like that, yeah. That gets to the heart of this question is. Sure, Chris Paul, but really, you know, who? Really, who but are you Even in that self, like, how you started this answer, like, the fact that, like, there's kind of this, I don't know, there's this thought that they have the choice to upgrade on playmaking. But, you know, the report from Eric Dame and Sam Amick from The Athletic saying that they they view, what, what was it? It was obviously salary uh, as, you know, uh, factor that cost cost was the word cost and personality so like the fact that you know the bucks brain trust they're already there's this obvious like trade partner between thun- the thunder and the bucks it's this need that the bucks have to address that they want to address but they're already saying like we're not going to go after chris paul which is like i don't know if that's a bargaining or trade tactic because you know it's so obvious and it has been obvious since he was there, but well, like, how can they bargain with the Thunder? Because they only really have like one offer that they can give the Thunder. Exactly, they can't. They <laughs> like, can't bargain with the, the the Thunder. The Thunder really can't bargain with anybody else too, just be, because Paul's salary is just so massive. But like the fact that they have, go, have gone out to this point and say like, yeah, we're, there's not interest on our end to go after Paul. It's like, well, if you're going to eliminate from that, like you, it, this pool is pretty shallow. It's not. It's not a deep pool. Yeah. I mean, there's always there's always players that can, you know, come about trade rumors that like you know it's kept under wraps until something happens. But that in itself is kind of like a microcosm of this kind of discussion of like how do the Bucks get better, and what what are they willing to do to get better is more interesting to me. Yeah, and it's. You know, even to it's hard to just like be like, okay, here's a list of some fringe guys, in part because, okay, the books have plenty of decisions to make with their own free agents. We have to see how that plays out. Um, how the likes of Robin Lopez, Wesley Matthews, handle their options for next season. Um, what the books do with Sterling Brown, which really I think should just be not extend them an offer and move on. Yep. Um. Then, like, what do they do? Like DJ Wilson's salary is not insignificant. <laughs> it takes a big real... jump. It's 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 like yeah, or something. The point? And they have no real use for him. So, no. like, 
what do you do with that? And all of that then comes into just the general point of, okay, well, when free agency does open, where are the books going to be at in terms of the cap? How many roster spots do they need to fill? And like the reality is they're going to be the tax. They're going to have no cap space. And you're talking about exceptions. And the majority of those exceptions being veteran minimum exceptions. So yep. like that's, that's one part of it. Okay. The other then is your trades are going to be somewhat predicated on that too, because even what you can do flexibility wise. So let's say that Robin Williams, for example, opts out. Robin. You, you need his salary Robin, to make Robin, deals. Did you say Robin Williams, I said. <laughs> oh, oh, I got to update my player salary. At least there's good reason. Yeah, there was there was a Marvin Williams. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if Robert Lopez opts out, you know that's a trade chip down because you need yes. his salary. Yeah. Guaranteeing your son's salary. If you make, which would be a very wise decision in some ways, not to guarantee your son and his over seven million for next season, it could also leave you with nothing to trade. So they've got this really difficult balancing act which i i don't know exactly how they handle it i don't know how they get on top of it i don't know how they get kind of all their ducks in a row in time you know because you need to you really need to have the answers to all of that stuff comfortably ahead of the draft Uh, ideally you need to have your answers like once the season finishes and trades can be made and well that depends on well that's the other thing is that the draft is going to be it's not we're obviously not operating under a normal year but the draft is going to be you know it could be as much as like two weeks ahead of the free uh, free agency and in between that i know i i feel like it'll be the three days that they originally talked about but that also goes into thinksgiving though that's the thing they might i mean what's i don't i don't see them worrying about that it's like it normally goes over fourth of july normally the biggest the biggest free agency decisions (laughs) because of the moratorium break of the fourth of july (laughs) much to everyone's chagrin like that's reporters are constantly complaining about whether it's like gordon hayward or whatever there's like always there's always big free agency decisions on the fourth of july so i don't think thanksgiving will factor in i mean i don't see how it could be much further along look at the timeline that is like provisionally being mapped out. I mean, you've got a late November draft as is. You've got Adam Silver talking about a January start day for the new season. That's two months. Like, yeah, you can't. Um, it's not. It's not even quite that. Like you said it to me privately, and I think it's Chris Mannix um, observed that at the time. Martin Luther King Day is is very likely the day they have in mind if they're currently thinking January because it is a marquee day in the schedule anyway. Yep. It's a day that they'd pack with games from early until late and it would seem like a logical thing to do that, start the season with that and kind of bring all eyes. And also the interesting thing with that too compared to other NBA seasons is it's going to bring you out like the other side of the NFL pretty much. Yeah. Like, what what date is the Super Bowl? What it's usually like the first Sunday in February, right? So you're gonna, but you're gonna be like after the Pro Bowl or maybe the same weekend. Like the things are gonna have sorted themselves out that you don't really have the NFL to worry about in any way. Bar okay, there's one game left. Yeah, um, which is also interesting in that regard. So 
let's say you're around the whatever it was. Is it the 22nd of November is the draft date? Uh, the 18th. The 18th. Like, and you're you're aiming for third week in January start? Uh, it's, you can't have free agency much more than right after the draft. Yeah, because then it's like, well, training camp is going to be like the start of Christmas? A little bit before that? Yeah, before possibly. So that's You're why gonna have guys for voluntary workouts sooner than that. I mean, remember too. I mean, the books are one thing, and um, all the teams. I mean, the bubble. You've got all these teams who haven't played in like almost a the, year. for the guts of a year. Yeah. Like, but that's that's an element for this in terms of the question marks. That like individually they're all pretty minor. The books don't have the kind of big free agency question marks facing them like they had last year, but they have enough small ones that add up and really factor into their ability to make deals. It's it's very difficult. Um, they need to answer part of this question. They need Dante to get better regardless. Yep. Um, unless unless he ends up being something included in a trade, which in that case, let's hope he doesn't get much better. Um, no offense to you, Dante, but <laughs> yeah, it's just it's incredibly difficult to even pick out fringe guys, and to me that is still why I think uh, any Bledsoe deal, the goal needs to be get yourself three good players back. Yeah, get yourself like what the Heat managed, where they got Jay Crowder, Andre Iguodala. Get yourself multiple guys who, when the playoffs come around, you can actually play. I think that would be a big thing for where the books are at. And if you can get a point guard that you are happy to start in a deal that has something resembling that construction, well, that's amazing. Great. But I I do think it's time to move on from Bledsoe anyway. And if you end up looking at Hill as a starter or if Dante is going to be a starter, if you've got to explore some other options... I mean, I think flipping Bledsoe for playable playoff players one way or another would be a pretty smart move at this point. <laughs> yes. I, I don't I don't see how they could possibly run back Bledsoe at this point. It's just ugh, my god. I part of me feels bad about that too. Because I know. I, yeah. This wasn't this wasn't all on him or anything close to it. But he's and even his entire playoff run wasn't terrible, but then like the two to three games where they really needed it from him, he, he again brought out his worst. And I think he finished that series on the worst possible note, which yeah. is, that's the problem. It's not like his whole playoffs was terrible, but you know, for as much as a lot of Bucks fans would like Bud gone, okay, you're giving him his, you're giving him another chance at that. This is not this is not Bledsoe like with the way that Bledsoe has completely floundered, like third year running. It's it's really tough. It's really disappointing. And I mean, the other thing too, and with any move they make, is you know, what other questions does it open up for them? What other areas of weakness are going to suddenly appear? Like Eric Bledsoe is a core core part of the Bucks defense. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be able to get someone who can replicate that? Probably not. Nope. Certainly not someone who replicates that and then also fixes the offensive issues he had. Because that person might be like uh, Chris Paul. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Which is why something like that is obvious, but also very difficult. Yep. 
from a Ben Rauman. Going off the reports of the meeting between Giannis and ownership, how can the books get creative with their off-season moves? Hmm. It feels to me very much something you've got to signal your intent to Giannis, that you're going to do all you can, we're going to explore all avenues, we'll get creative as we can be. As to how they actually do it, I think that's much more difficult. And I think what creative might actually end up meaning is just like incredibly reckless. <laughs> um, <laughs> they can't get creative beyond um, future picks and picks that could be picks when Giannis isn't on the roster and could end up really good picks. So I don't know, do the books trade every pick between now and the end of time with all sorts of crazy protections on them or what way? Like That seems like the height of creativity. And yet, I think that would be a really bad idea. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> the other thing is just with your, is with your options and with Ursan guaranteeing, it's like, what can you use? What kind of filler can you use? But that's not entirely within their own hands outside of Ursan. Yeah. Um, how, what does creative mean without, like, really... We're already talking about Bledsoe as, you know being made available in trade talks and that's a foundational piece are you going to go into other foundational pieces and you know really Mm -hmm. transform your roster in a way that they might not be comfortable doing um i would venture to guess that they're not going to but that's where they're at you know there's only so many trade pieces that they can offer up and they only have so many picks that they can offer up you know just based on how many they've already given up (laughs) It's this is this is all what makes part of the bind of just trying to improve this roster. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking a lot more about that in the past few days, and I'm kind of coming down on they they probably should really consider bigger shakeup with the roster, but to do that they need to know just how big the risk is and just just how likely it would be even not even just like possible probable likely that it could all go wrong from there yep and that they did a really good job of building the pieces they did that worked together and brought them to a certain point but it like it's not news to us it's not news uh, to people listening to us talk about it on this podcast because we talked about it for a long time they didn't leave themselves much uh, if any wiggle room to go beyond what they built yes like this, they, this they was did, the year they, this was the year they, they did a great job to get the roster to this point to get the kind of results they were getting in spite of what wasn't your traditional i mean the books are starting like four to five like really really good players they've done that for the last two years but like the second star conversation we we all know we're all familiar with that it was it didn't resemble a lot of other teams who were contending and by the same token, though, I mean, you got to look at the Miami Heat, who just, like, roll through the books and are almost one foot in the finals now. And is Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, like, compare that to what the books have, is that better? The answer is no. No. Like, the answer is no. Um, The most pessimistic person on the books, the most optimistic Heat kind of... um view would have them as similar would have them on kind of a pretty even keel i don't think that's the case but really the difference is 
the coach and the rest of the roster. And I actually think yes. the rest of the roster more than anything, like look at Tyler Hero. Like we got a pretty up close look at that. But that is the thing that like if the Bucks brain trust are sitting around at this point and they're like, why is it not us? Where's it all gone wrong? It's just look at what the heat got. Like for nothing. Like for nothing. Your own draft pick or, you know, taking taking flyers on undrafted guys, unrestricted free agents. I mean, Duncan Robinson is obviously that, but the Heat have been trying Kendrick this for, for longer. Kendrick yep. Nunn. Like go, go back to Hassan Whiteside. Like uh, yep. Yep. the Heat the Heat have consistently been playing that game. Yeah, while they're while they're in their own kind of tough spot because of some bad contracts they had signed. And this is part of the books problem is the books didn't have those two tracks going. Like you can make some bad decisions, know that you've limited yourself, but then you've also got to be playing a different game of, okay, how can we compensate? How can we balance this roster out where, okay, we're overpaying here, but we need to get some bargains at the other end of our roster to make the whole thing work. And that's what the books have lacked. And that's something that to me, I think, like this summer they should be looking they should be thinking about they should have been already though is kind of the point it's like who can we find from europe who could we bring over who's a standout player in euro league who you know we are able to get it with a decent buyout could come here sign a contract just wants to come to the nba and be a fit in our roster uh who goes undrafted who's worth worth to try not a try for summer league and training camp and then we just wave them and they go and play for the heat let's actually let's take a chance on someone even if we think they are not good enough right now we just see enough that we like it and we're going to say that is one of our roster spots and we're going to commit to it like that's effectively what they did with dj wilson rather than doing it with players who have potential or yeah you know, but, i mean that's what that spot has been for the last few years yep and with no sign of anything and with an actual first round picks salary, which as you mentioned is, I actually think it's about $5 million next year. It's, it's right up in that range anyway. So it's, it's not great is what it is. No. Um, I, I, the other thing, I mean, in terms of getting creative and this is again out of your control until you get to the point and then you see what happens. Like DJ is making $4.5 million. <sighs> Maybe, maybe, and their their free agents aren't really good enough to be thinking a whole lot of this, but let's say someone does want Sterling Brown. Let's say someone does want Pat Connaughton. I mean, the Cavs are already reported as interested in Pat Connaughton. Maybe you could find a sign and trade in some way that, you know, you're getting something, you're getting something that could be useful to your, your depth, your rotation. Like, they've got to... They've got to explore all sorts of different possibilities and options this year that I just don't think they necessarily have in the past. They've got to every every transaction that's even somewhat related to them, they've got to have their nose in. And every deal around the NBA, it's got to be a case of, oh, can we help? You know? Yeah. Uh, is there a place for us in this deal? And what can we do? What can we spin? Even if that's a matter of they need to make some deals to get some assets that can then be flipped. Well, you've got to look at that. Um, I I just think they do have a problem for me. I wrote about this. I think oh, I think it was for today. I don't actually know, Jordan. This is not not a great sign. I think it went up today. I say as the person who wrote it, edited it, and scheduled it. Um, but about the kind of risks that they're going to have to take. Yes. I think the problem 
the problem with the risks they're going to have to take is the books don't have stuff that people want. Like, the stuff that teams might be interested in are players who are good and important to the books and where the books are actually weak at those positions. And you ranked the books trade chips earlier in the week, which did touch on the same subject. It's like, oh, teams might want Dante. Well, the books kind of really need Dante. Uh, teams might be interested in George Hill. Yeah, George Hill is incredibly important for the books. If the books lost George Hill, they have a different problem. Uh, maybe you could trade Brook Lopez. Brook Lopez is really good. Teams would like him. That's great. If the books trade Brook Lopez, they don't have centers and they have to like completely reimagine how they play. So their routes to making deals are like really significantly hindered by the fact that they don't have much of anything that anyone should want. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's you're what they have to give up right now or what they're willing to give up right now is only going to be in return or like what you can get in return is what other teams are going to want to give up. You know what I mean? You're not you're not going for the Drew Holidays or these oh, well, I think they can go for him. They can go for him, but it's not far. far. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, again, <laughs> the fact that, like, you know, they're, Malcolm Brogdon getting hurt last year when he did force them to, I'm, this is just a microcosm of kind of the problem that they're in. They, they're forced to wave Christian Wood because they need a point guard. So they bring on Tim Frazier, who, hey, he's played the most minutes in the Mike Budenholzer era in the game. <laughs> but, like, you know what I mean? Like, that in itself is, like, now he's going to free agency. I saw something yesterday that he might get – there's, like, there's something that he might get up to, like, $16 million, which is, like, okay, Christian, Christian Wood. Wood. Yeah, he might. I mean, he's he's been good. Yeah, he's very good. But, like, that is kind of – they try to do this. They they try to do it with Christian Wood, drag a bender – Maybe they do it with Frank Mason. Who knows? But they they quit at the first sign of like, oh, we need something else to do it now. Like that's yes, yes. Like that's again is the point with with Dragon Bender, who like he played what nine games and hardly played any minutes. I thought he looked good whenever he took to the floor for the books. I thought Dragon Bender looked good, and then you get rid of him to make room for Marvin Williams. And sure, Marvin Williams is a good player, and he was useful in the playoffs. The guy retires. I know you don't have Dragon Bender and you don't have Marvin Williams. Yep. It's not like nobody was capable of predicting that would be the situation a few months ago. So you've done yourself out of what was, oh, this is an interesting guy, uh, young, uh, cost control asset because you had him on a one plus one deal. Yeah, he's picked and... up. I think picked, or, uh, blah, blah, blah. was Bender picked off waivers? Christian Wood was definitely. Yeah, Wood was definitely. And I, I think. Yeah, because he, he went to New, New Orleans and then he went to Detroit after he got away from there. But with Bender, I remember us talking about it at the time, and obviously this is the most like optimistic view, but there's a part of this that teams have to have. They've got a plot toward, and we said, okay, look at Brooks' age, look at Brooks' injury history, look at the size of this guy, look at the defensive tools he does have, look at the shooting touch he does have. This could be really smart. Bring this guy in, have him work alongside Brooke, have him learn in the system, have him basically become a mirror of Brooke. And if that's your center and that's your idea of what you want the center, if you can develop him, if he hits a stride, if he works out and realizes some of the potential, 
that led to him being a fourth overall pick to begin with, well, guess what? You've got him, and you can move Brook Lopez on at some point. And all of a sudden, you've got a younger guy, possibly a cheaper guy, filling that spot. Like, that is that is kind of what you have to do if you want a sustained period of contention. You've got to be developing replacements for your players as you go along. And if you don't have draft picks, you know, you've got to show some care for that. Now, someone like Bender, I mean, they could sign Bender again this offseason. Bender's got a three-month deal in Israel with an option for the rest of the season. He wants to come back to the NBA. There's no reason why the books may not say, hey, we liked you. We think there's something there. Let's do a deal. Whether they get a one plus one on the friendly terms again after having waived them, that's a different question. Um, but they are probably in a position... See, I don't, I don't have any confidence that they're going to look to those kind of deals, where I think they could do with signing three players of that mold. Having the rotation, or having the roster put them in a spot where it's like, we don't have as many guys who are playable, maybe, but the truth is they didn't have many playable guys last year. It's like, yeah, if, yeah. if you can't if you can't play what those you, guys back you, into your roster... Is, what are you really improving on if... Have them used for flyers. Like, have them used for people who may be of value to you at some point. There was a, the, as the books keep posting on social media, video from inside the bubble, aside from Ursan and Isova being the obvious star of all things books, <laughs> except on the court. Uh, Ursan is incredible. Just, I mean, I maybe Ursan could be a, like, a sideline reporter or something next year if he's, if he doesn't come back on a playing deal. Maybe he could get Steve Novak's reps. Like, you can't we, say that wouldn't be entertaining. Uh, I, that would definitely be entertaining. Ursan has a voice for TV. Nobody has ever said otherwise. <laughs> Aside from Ursan being the star of these books' videos, um, there was one that struck me that was just packed with Frank Mason making shots in practice, like in runs. With, like He was against Yana's team, and he just kept draining trees. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, kind of strange choice that this is what you're putting out in the video. Maybe this explains why he got those two early minutes in a playoff game. But then, like, by the same token, okay, something good has happened there. He won G League MVP. You've got him. Are you going to sign him this summer? Are you going to sign him? And, you know, like these are the things they've track. got to do. <laughs> they, they've never used that inside track on anyone, though, is the problem. No. The next question. I don't feel like our podcasts are good for books fans to listen to at the moment in terms of, well, maybe they are. Maybe they're perfect for books fans to listen to, but we're not bringing anything particularly it's, yeah, optimistic. Yeah, that's the six reality check. <laughs> From at DC16 underscore Klaus. How do you think Rondo would fit on this books roster instead of Bledsoe? I get he's not a shooter, but feel like he could take some pressure off Giannis, <laughs> bring the ball up. He racks up assists like crazy. And seems like a good playmaker, always finding open guys. If he, Jordan, you're laughing. I'm not laughing at anything anymore. No, I'm not. No, I'm laughing. I was laughing at this idea of like making this regular season Bledsoe playoff Rondo hybrid, and the Bucks reaping the rewards of of making such a thing. I mean, that's what they. That's what their problems are. It would be quite uh, the shift to go from a player who only shows up in the regular season to a player that only shows up in the playoffs. Yeah. The opposite of, or yeah, it's called John Salmons. That's, that's what I've learned. <laughs> um, I, 
the idea of Rondo um, repulses me. And yet, I'm honestly, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to just dismiss those sort of players out of hand anymore because the books do need more of something. Yeah. And I don't know if the idealized version of that is there for them to, like, I don't know if that's attainable. I don't know if we can be in a spot where it's like, that guy, he can't you, do this or he can't do you that. You can't put your nose up towards some, any No, because cause we know what Bledsoe couldn't do, can't do, and we know how that hurt the book. So it does reach a point where you're like, okay, you're not going to find the perfect player. You certainly don't have that at your disposal because of the various decisions you've made over the years. But what you do need to find is a player who offers you something different. Now, could someone like Rajon Rondo make a difference to the books with his passing, make a difference to their offense in the playoffs? I don't like it, but I don't think that's completely unreasonable as an idea. It's not something I get excited about. It could be a complete disaster. Um, But there is another side to it where is it something different? Is it someone who does have... Uh, a proven and reliable offensive skill set of some sort the answer is yes like this is this is the difference where a couple of years ago there were plenty of players who just like i would have rolled my eyes and got very annoyed about but the books have moved past the point now they don't have flexibility that they would have had at that point and they've got to try something i mean someone that i mentioned to you and i'm I'm reticent to even reticent, 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 not reticent, yes. reticent um, to even share this on the podcast. But this is this is a real insight into how dark things are getting, books fans. I said to Jordan, we're Jordan and I were having a, a conversation that would be very typical of the kind of conversation we have, which is books fans are fantasizing about Drew Holiday and Chris <laughs> Paul. And Jordan and I are like, okay, let's get real here. Let's look at the absolute dredges out there. Let's look at like what what just kind of scraps could the books pick up here in the realistic deal that may be what we actually end up seeing. And I joked with Jordan. I said, Detroit, who else is going to trade with the books but the Pistons? It's always the Pistons. The Pistons, whenever the books need to trade, get off a salary, call the Pistons. And I said to Jordan... This pains me. There's a million and one reasons I would hate this. I would not be particularly pleased with it from a non-basketball sense, to say the least. And it may just be flat out disqualified based on some of the the things that were outlined even in that report, as you mentioned, um, along with cost character coming into it. But someone like Derek Rose can do something. I'm not saying he can do something good. I'm not saying go get Derek Rose. Uh, but the books are past the point where they can just be like, no, that doesn't work. He's not going to cut it defensively. He's going to want the ball in his hands too much. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. Because a few, a few lessons we have learned are um, having another player who's going to have the ball in his hands a lot may not be a, the worst thing. Yep. Because Giannis can't have the ball in his hands in the playoffs. You need to get Giannis the ball in spots rather than having him have the ball in his hands allowing a defense to set. Like, yep. that is that is a given. Now, that is a part where someone like Rondo, 
a Rondo type. Let's not let's let's talk about a Rajon Rondo type and a Derrick Rose type rather than actually getting into like those specific individuals and making it seem like I'm advocating for either. Uh, but if we just talk player types and what they can do and what they can't do, if you have a Rondo type, you have someone who can initiate, someone who is an, organizer. an incredibly, incredibly skilled passer, someone who will orchestrate your offense. And there's a part of it that you require buy-in and you require different uh, behaviors from your team than what you've had before. And by that, I mean they need to move when they don't have the ball. But if they do that, he will be able to find guys. He'll be able to find guys at their preferred spots. Chris Middleton will get better looks. Giannis could get more shots at the basket. Much easier looks than he's been dealing with. So that's if you get a playmaker type. And look, again, like, I mean, I'm talking about types here. Like, the reality to this is if the books could get Chris Paul, Chris Paul would do both of the things I'm kind of mentioning and then some. Uh, but I, I'm skeptical that they're dealing in that level of the market. So you're settling for something less than that. Okay, so that's one type. The other is a Derrick Rose type. The books could do with a guy who can go and score 20 points. They, they could really do with a guard who, instead of just having two points every time a playoff game comes around... Someone who won't be deterred when it comes to attacking. They will attack over and over again. They will keep shooting. Um, their shot selection may not always be the best, but it will not be the absolute worst, which is what the books have been operating with at the point guard position. Like, there is a case for that. The first sense of this I got, of just this being the place that things have come to with the books, and just in terms of trying to find solutions with the limited options available, uh, probably listening a former guest, a writer behind the book pass, a good friend of ours, so he won't mind me saying this, uh, Ben Rauman, I'm sure all of you know listening, Ben Rauman wrote a piece for behind the book pass two weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, kind of just talking about player types and solutions and, you know, where the books could go from here. And the final piece of that essentially settled on Jordan Clarkson. Again, I, I guess as a type more than anything else for like what the books are missing, what they really lacked in the playoffs and again, like that is a that is a player that is a just that would have made my skin crawl weeks ago, and yet when I saw that, I was like, "Yep, yeah, I get it." <laughs> I, I think I, it. I think I snooted my nose. There's there was a game that I went to before uh, you know the world uh, is where it is right now. When people could go to games, yeah, when people could go to games, is that in a bubble in uh, Central Florida? Um, and I overheard a guy talking about trading for Jordan Clarkson. And I was like, what are you like? I, I held back this urge to just, you know, be very, be very unlike myself. <laughs> um, and just say like, that is exactly what they shouldn't want. And now it's like, oh yeah, like he's going to get paid. And he, well, uh, look, I've named three players there. I would not like the idea of watching any of those three players. No. I don't like really anything to do with it. I also can't say categorically that there isn't a situation where the books would have been better off in the playoffs by having any one of those three players instead of what they had. And even just more extensively, I mean, you look at the real the lack of punch they had on their bench, 
it's like they just lacked players who could create offense one way or another. Yeah. Um, it changes your dynamic, and maybe you've got to think about your approach to your team and your character a little differently. But the Bucks could do with a guy who will just go out and go and get his. I mean, that was also part of the the intriguing thing with Dante just before the break when he started like oh, taking these pull up mid range shots. It's like, oh, this is like some of the college confidence that he obviously had. This is this is knowing, oh, I can take on a bigger role this team, and it's like. There's a part of that which is right now very appealing, given just the play styles and the weaknesses of the key players on the books roster. So, yep. And again, chat. if uh, you know, we're we're talking about like budget versions of the big question that the books. Uh, oh, if you can find a better version, if they can actually pull a deal off for a better version of one of these kind of players, but they like that, would, that's what you do. But it's not realistic. Yeah, but they they. They, I, I don't want to relitigate this because I know Bucks fans are going to roll their eyes. And we talked about this after they lost the Heat that Malcolm Brogdon would not have himself would not have saved the Bucks. But this is the, this is what made him essential to what they were. He's not a luxury, to quote. Mark oh, Smith. it's what it's one of the various reasons. Like there are so many reasons. I there I'm sure there are a lot of books fans who still roll their eyes every time that comes up, but there are a thousand one reasons why he's relevant and it's valid to bring him up in any conversation. Like when we talk about the lack of them having anything to trade, any meaningful salary. salary player, yeah, exactly. A player that another team might want. Yep. Like that's the guy. Uh if you brought him back, you match that offer rather than pulling off a sign and trade, uh that's the centerpiece of your Chris Paul deal. And the Thunder would probably be quite happy to. Oh, okay. Oh, a, a versatile guard next to Shea Gilgis Alexander. Exactly. We're going to get off Chris Paul's salary. We're going to bring in a versatile guard who's. He's not young, but he's considerably younger than Chris Paul. And that's another piece we can build with. He's a player they could flip again at some point for further assets, depending on what they. Like, that's what the books lack is players you can do that with. So both on the court in terms of what he brought and off the court, yeah, the, you you can't just we can't pretend that didn't happen, and we also can't pretend like that. You and I didn't like it at the time. I won't no. I won't speak for anyone this else. Not, I won't get yeah, into what other people said. History. But th- this is not revisionist on our part at all because you and I did not like it at the time, and there are countless articles and podcast episodes that will will act as proof of that. Uh, from at MKE Robert, what do you think is the most likely scenario this offseason in regard to Giannis? I personally think signing the Supermax makes the most sense. He can force a trade down the road if it isn't working out without missing out on any earnings. Yeah, I think he signs the Supermax, and I think it's the thing he should do. Like, for all of the question marks over, um, you know, what happens with the cap... I think the reality is the cap is not going to... There's not going to be the cap bounce back. So the cap is likely going to be frozen this year. Yeah. I don't know realistically what happens a year from now because I would say that the NBA's current plans of fans in buildings and play in home markets is still incredibly optimistic. Considering the amount of travel involved, considering the indoor nature, like this is also a key difference between... The NBA and the MLB or the NFL. 
it's you're not just dealing with the travel of the players you're dealing with you're putting people in an enclosed space with not great ventilation uh in the middle of a pandemic where the virus thrives on that exact environment mm-hmm. uh that's an issue so this idea of oh sign a one plus one uh don't think that's good i don't like i don't know what the bounce back will be like I, no one can actually project forward with any certainty and be like oh well you know by the, that year everything will be fine you'll get a much bigger no we don't actually know that so if you have an offer on the table this summer that gives you i can't remember the exact number now around 230 240 million right it i i've seen something from as low as like 220 to now or to what would have been like 257 or something like that so within that you you signed that if that's there you signed that yeah. and you're like not that Giannis troubles weren't taken care of for the rest of his life to begin with but like that's you and your family and your your son and future generations you know if you're smart with that you have well and beyond like transformed your your entire family for generations you can do whatever you want to make an impact for others like that's that's it you signed that and the point is and we touched on this thing in the last episode the reason you sign it is because you can get out whenever you want like (laughs) contracts mean nothing in terms of the team you're contracted to what they mean is how much you're going to get paid and that's really why you sign it because players have proven time and again, if they want out, they'll eventually get out. Like, they'll, they'll get to the place they want to play. So, you might as well get paid, like, the right amount of money, what you want in the meantime. And also, like, let's let's put ourselves in the worst case scenario. Let's say that he wants to go elsewhere. He's got his eye on Team X. Not all the teams that he may want to play for at some point in his career are going to have the cap space to sign him in free agency a year from now. Mm-hmm. Like his best play might be, regardless of what his plans are, I'll stick where I am and let's see how that goes. And down the line, there may just be more options open to me via trade when other teams' rosters like change the dynamic of it. Like, I I don't see the reason for him not to sign it. That's my personal opinion. I I do think he will sign it. Yeah, I. I think he signed something. I don't know. Something. something. Like an autograph? Maybe. Maybe that goes for even more than what his rookie card did. Um, That's true. But yeah, I think, I mean, it's if it's not the richest contract extension in history, it's going to be pretty damn close um, based on what whatever they, the cap comes in at. Uh, that's hard to pass up. Mm. You've never... Very... How uh, have we seen? I know we've seen. There's recent examples of teams, you know, Bulls with Butler, Kings with but Marcus the, Cousins. The thing is, too, like he's not Anthony Davis, as in he's not in a situation where he has no chance to compete. He's on a team that have had the best record in the league two years running. They've come unstuck in the playoffs. Exactly. Yes. It's it's not a hard sell to say to him, look, you know how good we are. Sure, we haven't lived up to that in the postseason, but we can fix that. Like that's that is not the most difficult sell. He's clearly happy in the city. He likes all of that side of it. So it, this is not like Anthony Davis with the Pelicans, where it's like it's an open secret that he wants out of there, and for for good reason because they didn't live up to any kind of 
side of the bargain from their perspective where oh convince me that this is the place where i can win like if that's what matters to players the pelicans didn't do that for Giannis or for anti davis the books haven't done it for Giannis, but they're a lot lot closer like, yeah in terms of in terms of making the case and really when you look at the age that guys win that that is the realistically that's what this kind of contract is about it's about making the case like if the player and his agent were being pretty pragmatic and looking at a wider view of NBA history to have won the championship with the team you were drafted before the next contract is very, very rare. Very, very Mm -hmm. rare. Like the case is really, okay, this is the deal where the books have to prove that they are worth signing the next deal with. And they, that's certainly the case with their production on the court. Now, my only concern would be that if he looks into Oh yeah, but what will it look like five years from now? Because it will look bad, Yalis. It will look really, really bad. Yeah. Do you think he listens? I hope not. <laughs> from at Ben Rowman, the aforementioned Ben Rowman. If past or present books players were characters in a Mortal Kombat game, what would some of their finishing moves be? Mm-hmm. Do you play Mortal Kombat? No, not since I was a kid. I, I, I don't know if I've ever played Mortal Kombat. I remember Sub Zero. This works against me. Um, Sub Zero would be uh, Eric Bledsoe's playoff uh, <laughs> contributions. <laughs> <laughs> we joke. Well, at least you made yourself laugh. Yeah, we joke because it's true. Um, past or present? Past is interesting. Could OJ Mayo have some sort of chicken soup? Kind of. Um, move was breaking his ankle, walking down the stairs. Good God. See, think of the times we've been through. <laughs> exactly. That wasn't that, again, not that long ago. That was only four These years are, ago. The, the, sure, the books have problems and the situation is grim, but they are very much the definition of first world. Tom Maker's finishing that. move was asking for a trade. Oh, well, Ton Maker's finishing move is like going into a crowd, kicking his legs around. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's there's, right. I forgot about that. Yeah. There's a there's an actual case. That... <laughs> oh man, there hasn't there hasn't been too much quite like that that I can draw from to just like read really Yeah, only OJ Mayo and his like ejection slash like uh, that Wolves game. Remember? Where he just like oh yeah he just lost control. Yeah, I can't even think of another. Well, I guess Giannis. Who was the assistant coach, Eric? Eric Hughes. Eric Hughes, who was like desperately trying to hold on to Mayo, who was like running around frantically. That was see all these times that books fans forget about, or maybe some of you were lucky enough not to be around for. Yeah. Uh, the other thing we'd have is Giannis like driving Mike Dunleavy into the second round. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, I think Tom Tom's flying legs is is my pick. Um from at MK Robert again, have you watched much basketball since the books early exit? I personally can't stomach it. Jordan? I watched uh here and there. Definitely not as interested as like, oh the Nuggets, I think the Nuggets kind of interest me the nuggets are the nuggets are our team right yeah you're rooting for the nuggets I'm rooting for the nuggets 
Let's go. Uh, <laughs> the Nuggets are where they want to be. They're 3-1 down. Yep. And we all know what that means from here. Um, <laughs> I've watched maybe 15 minutes. <laughs> That's maybe it. I'm If I'm still awake and the game is close, I'll turn it on at the end. Uh, I watched Mason Plumley. I got the right one this time. Oh, I watched Mason Plumley's whatever the hell that was in real time, and it hurt me deeply. Um, the Nuggets are the Nuggets are the, not just because they're the underdog and they're the small market. Um, I just think they're like in terms of players and personalities, they're just a lot of fun. Yeah, like Jokic and Murray are incredibly fun. Um, and that I is always that's... believed in Murray. You back at the draft, loved him. The Celtics. Did you see that report? Oh, oh no, yeah. that was that was a Tyler Hero. I think there was a Murray one right back then. There's though, a Murray. It? There's a Jimmy Butler nine years after the fact. There's a. To be fair, there's a Celtics. There's a Celtics report for everyone. Yeah, Giannis. Yeah, they did know. that too. Oh, if we didn't, they literally picked Kelly Olynyk ahead of Giannis. Like you had the decision to do it. Don't BS me. I can't. We can't make fun of Kelly Olynyk anymore. He he's also in the category of players that you know we can't make fun of. Could Kelly Olynyk be the trade? I'm making fun of the decision makers, not Kelly Olynyk. Okay, there we go. I'll make that distinction. <laughs> no, the answer to this though is I haven't watched much, and I I have touched on this before, and it it in some ways it's kind of crazy, but I this is not a new thing. Like this is year in year out for quite a number of years. This is what happens, um, from the just particularly with uh, everything that comes with writing about and podcasting about like season round. Um, by the time the book's season comes to an end, it's kind of burnout. And I don't do a whole lot of thinking about basketball for a while. Now, the difference, and it's a little bit annoying, last year certainly, uh, um, and it, it's this year too, the, the further the books go when they get eliminated, the less recovery time I have. So the less likely it is that I kind of get over that and tune back in in time for some portion of it <laughs> like um we'll see who the finals is we'll see we'll see who the finals is i'm i'm not i don't have the appetite for me there is also a different part of this which is i don't have the appetite to stay up to watch basketball right now yeah uh if i'm awake at that time it's not because i want to watch basketball so if there were some friendly times which there won't be for the finals for me uh maybe but no no is the answer to that. Very, very little. But basketball will be back, and we'll go through it all, all over again. Pain and all, most likely. <laughs> From at Delish04, moving forward, year in and year out, does Giannis automatically make the books a final contender, no matter what the rest of the roster also looks like? Yes. Yes. Um, There are very different kind of places on the scale for that but the answer is yes like you're a finals contender if you have Giannis we as we learned this year a finals contender can lose in the second round yeah what are, what are, um, is finals contender you have to be the final four is that is that where we're going I, I don't even think it matters I mean yeah like the heat were the fifth seed right yes they were um, now, now I don't think anyone was pegging them as a finals contender beforehand but the finals contender is like, are you among the teams that when the playoffs start, you could look at any one game, any one series and be like, sure, they could do that because of 
Reason X. Reason X is going to be Giannis. So that is regardless of who's the coach, what other players on the roster, um, you can never just completely reel the books out of a series because they have Giannis. Now, Giannis has to figure a lot of stuff out to be able to be that version of Giannis in the postseason and really make that count. But I think that's... Yeah, I think if you've got Giannis, you've got a chance. What that ultimately amounts to, though, is a different question. Yep. From at David 21 at this point, the best path forward for the books involves... This is a poll, so it'll be four options. Multiple big moves, which in brackets he has 22 and 6, that being Chris and Bledsoe. One decisive move, which is 6, Bledsoe. No moves at all, or we've already blown it. I voted in this poll Ooh. when uh, when I saw it come up last night when David Dunn 21 sent it in. I was torn between two answers. I want to know, can you guess? Oh, I know one? what you're going to say. I think for sure it's going to be the top one. And I would say... What, multiple big moves? I'm gonna, Yeah. No, that wasn't one. Oh. One decisive move? One decisive move was what I ultimately voted for. And then the other one was uh, we've already blown it. Yes. <laughs> but that is correct. <laughs> I, I, I think that's the situation. Um, yes. I think they, they should make one decisive move. And the reality may be that we later find out that they have already blown it. What's your, <sighs> what's your pick, Jordan? I think it's blown it. Oh, God. I wasn't expecting well, I just, you That's why I just wrote it right now, by the way. I'm putting my, <laughs> my stamp. You've officially put your weight behind. Yeah, I should have screenshotted it. That's where I went. Actually, I can do it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's it. <laughs> Great. Are y'all having fun, books on? <laughs> um, <laughs> from at MKE Roberts, do you view Chris Paul as an asset at this point? Seems like it was universally agreed upon that his contract was an albatross last season. And now I see people suggesting we attach draft picks to acquire him. Seems like cap relief should be enough to get him if the books want him. No, I, I don't think that would be enough because his contract can be an albatross and he can also be an exceptionally good player. Yes. And the the problem with the the problem with assuming his contract means you don't have to give anything or there isn't value to that is that the Thunder are literally the team who know that's not the case because they didn't want him. They got him as part of like deals that brought other assets that they did want their way. And then they got a really good positive season out of him. So if there's any team in the league who's going to view him as an asset, it's the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I think rightfully so. Like He is a good player. Like Sure, they don't necessarily need good players back in return, which is fortunate for the books if the books do get in this conversation because the books don't have any to give them. But I don't think you can just be like, hello, is that Sam Presti? Yes, okay, that's a Sam. We've got... We've got <laughs> I've got Eric Bledsoe, Ursan Ilyasova, Robin Lopez, DJ Wilson, and I want Chris Paul. What do you say? Um... DJ Wilson's interesting. Oh, his salary goes up to four point five million. He's uh, <laughs> just like pours over the details. That's the deal breaker, is it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, no. If we're getting off this bad contract, I don't need 
DJ Wilson's exorbitant 4.5 million <laughs> final year. Uh, no, I, I think he's a, I think he's an asset because he is. Didn't he make All NBA second team? Uh he might have. I'm pretty sure he did. Um, like Chris Paul is good. Yeah, you're right. Second team. Like the water. Like what are we talking about? Yeah, of course you've got to give something for that guy. Just because his contract is bad doesn't. And like the the problem for the books is that the contract is bad, and that he is old, and that to get him, like, what have you got left after that? But that is a problem that's borne out by their previous bad moves and by not having good young players and like wasting draft picks, all that stuff. But yeah, I think it's completely reasonable to assume that the Thunder would want another pick because remember, look what they've just done with him. So if they can't trade Chris Paul, they still have like. 100 draft picks in the next six years. I'm only barely exaggerating. Yeah, they're... 100 first-round picks. It's ridiculous. They have, like... They have something like 24 first-round picks in the next eight years. Mm-hmm. Like, so they have all of that anyway. They just made the playoffs and had a really good, encouraging season. They have tons of guards who, having Chris Paul around, is clearly doing them a lot of good. Like, what's their worst-case scenario? Like... If the deal isn't actually worth their while, if it's an actively bad deal for them, like they're not in a spot where they have to win next year or they're going to win next year, so why would they not just keep him? Like, if you want him, you will have to give something to get him because the worst case scenario for the Thunder is not actually bad for them at all. Yeah, I mean, they are, they, again, not all those picks are going to pan out, but they are in a point where. They don't have to. They their future doesn't depend on those picks having to be hits. Uh, and the other thing, you know right, I mean? is the Thunder are a small market franchise in an unglamorous city. Stop me if any of this sounds familiar. What is their rush to get rid of Chris Paul to clear cap space? What are they clearing cap space for? Yep. Like what are they clearing cap space for? Um, more useful to them they is also keeping have, Chris Paul they, to make a trade with some team who have a younger superstar who becomes very unhappy next year, and they can swoop in and they have endless picks, and then they can actually just have a free run at someone else. Like they could have a free run at the next young superstar. He doesn't have to want to be there. They don't even need a guarantee of an extension. They have a contract that's perfect to swap with it. They have enough picks that they can easily just kind of write off a couple of them and be like, yeah, sure, have Chris Paul and this, and we'll take that guy. Yep. And they also like, have other trade candidates that they can get for pieces that may pan out down the line. It's not just Chris Paul. It's Schroeder. It's Steven Adams. It's, um, I'm forgetting, uh, Gallinari is going to be a free agent. But they're like, yeah, I mean, like, not all their chips are dependent on getting this huge return for Chris Paul and their future. They're, they're, they're sitting on a lot of assets right now that they could cash in and transform their team in any way they want to. From a P-backer 91, if you could undo the Tony Snell trade and have another young asset in someone like Kevin Porter or Bol Bol, would you do it? Uh, this is a nice idea in theory, but, but you I mean, don't the get... Bucks made a Tony Snell trade because they had to, to re-sign Middleton and re-sign Lopez and re-sign... Specific, it was more Brook than anything because they didn't have his bird rates, remember? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is, that's exactly what it was. So you... Okay. 
So then you're so you'd have Tony Snell and Kevin Porter, but not Brooke Lopez. I mean, but that again, it comes back to like if you manage things better, and one of the things that they would have needed to manage better is Tony Snell's contract in the first place. So John Hammond gave him the extension. Uh, sure, then you could have kept Tony Snell, who was a good, useful player, and also not had to trade a draft pick to get off the salary just to keep other players who you had actually signed on bargain deals. Mm-hmm. Like, there must be a part of Horse that... I don't know what offers Brook Lopez had on the table in the summer of 2018. Could you have got a bit more? Though? Could you got a longer deal? They, they, there must be something that he's thought about a lot. Maybe. Because, like, he was bottom of the market. Yeah. And to have to turn around a year later and lock him in at what you did, that that's a tough, tough spot that they found themselves in. Yeah. For something that was a bargain signing that transformed the team. Yep. Uh, lastly, from a Bango Trap House, who are your realistic trade and our free agent targets? Uh, we've kind of covered that in that it's difficult to pinpoint them. It's also pretty grim. Um, like my my dream trade target. You might tell me I need to dream bigger, but I, I think I'm thinking on just the right scale. Is that the books can get Monty Morris. You love Monty Morris. <laughs> I do. I really like him. But I also just think, again, if we want to take that player out of it and we want to use, here's a type of player. Um, that's like plausible. This is this is what the books are dealing with. If you want to get like you're changing point guard, what can you do? Uh, someone like him, who is good, you can play him in the playoffs, and you can get other pieces as part of a deal back. That's that's a win for me. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of that is the realm I'm playing in. I like Jamichael Green as a free agent target. The books are going to have big questions. We're going to spend so much time talking with the guards, but I mean, what is their front court? Yep. Like, what if and if Roman opts out? Like, what if they got a center? And if they're talking about deals and they end up that Brook has to be on the table, like <laughs> a lot of questions up there too. Beyond Giannis, when like I'm like looking at salaries and I'm looking at you know cap sheets and of and players on other teams, and I'm like, hmm. What happens if the Spurs don't guarantee Trey Lyles five million dollars? Do the Bucks? <laughs> that's what I'm like. Looking. I like that, Jordan. I do I like, like that, that. And, but I'm like, that's they might trade Demar. They might trade, or if if he opts in, and that you know I mean, like that's like what we're down to. And I'm just you know. no, but that I don't think that's. I'd see I, the problem is the books just need to mass maximize players who can actually play who are young and could also improve. Like this is what they need to do. They can't, they can't go down the really old guy route again. Cause I don't think they're going to find their answers. Oh, God, there. No. Like uh, the, the signing that I think the books, if we're to look at moves, the books made in the last few years, and we're to pinpoint one that they should use as a template this summer. It's not because this was the most successful move, but it's one that they've got something out of. And it was the right idea at the time, and it's even more the right idea now, was when they signed Pat Connaughton. Yep. It's like, who just might be undervalued around the league, but we feel can play, can do something, will fit what Kind of hit their, their profile of athletic, positional size, the yeah. John Horst. Who can we get a two-year deal on a, on a minimum level, and 
you know that way we're maximizing what we have elsewhere if we because if we can get a player who can play at that price well then that's a big bonus considering the tough spots we find ourselves in elsewhere like for Connaughton's problems in the postseason and the issues they had with that, that doesn't mean that they they shouldn't go that route. They should actually take more flyers at that particular price range, and then you might get one that really hits. Mm-hmm. You might get two that just hit enough that they get you over the line. Like for how it all ended, the books are not a million miles away. Sitting here right now, it looks likely that they've lost to the team who's going to get out of the East again. Yeah. Maybe the Miami Heat win the championship, and for two years running, the Bucks will have lost to the eventual champions. Like, they're not far away. There are things that need to be fixed, but they're not far away. But they do have to be proactive and find some gems to get over that hump. Yep. All right, Jordan, that does it. That was a, a fun dose of the mailbag. Um, I I actually meant that. No, I, me too, right? I enjoyed it. I don't know if anyone listening will enjoy it. We'll be back sometime soon. I won't put an exact time on that because who knows? We'll see if any news comes up when when there's stuff to talk about. Um, we might do another mailbag if there are questions soon. We'll see. Um, but we'll be back sometime soon. To make sure you catch that, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher and favorites on TuneIn Radio. You can also read mine and Jordan's writing at Behind Book Pass. Hold on mine for a limited time only. I now <laughs> or regret it forever uh, and you can follow us on twitter at win in six podcast until the next time thanks to all of you for listening thank you Joel. thank you